Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. Hey, what's up, everyone? We are back for another episode of The Pair Program. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, accompanied by my co-host, Mr. Mike Gruen. Mike, how are you doing, sir? Um, I'm doing all right. Uh, Still getting over last night's uh, loss uh, by the Rangers to to Carolina, but, you know, hanging in there. Nice. Yeah, I love that we talk (laughs) about topics that aren't going to be relevant when this episode is released. I'm well aware aware that, like, it's... (laughs) When the Rangers are far gone uh, from the playoffs, but... uh, no, it's it's been a pretty exciting. Uh, so, so for those that that aren't aware, Mike is a huge New York Rangers fan. Rangers are in the in the playoffs, and uh, it's coming down coming down to the wire here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, well, cool. Well, yeah. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about what uh, you know today's episode is going to take us through. So, you know, a pretty common scenario in in startup world is um, you know going uh, to some sort of an exit, right? So. Either IPOing or getting acquired, um, you know, getting acquired being you know the more common theme uh, for for many startups. And you know, we're going to hear firsthand from a, a couple of our guests on, you know, maybe some of those expectations uh, in in that type of scenario. Um, but more importantly, kind of dissecting what these different environments may look like for a technologist that is going through different stages of startups or going from startup world into maybe like a large enterprise or, or a big tech company. So um, we do have some, some good guests with us today who have great experience when it comes to this topic. So Damien and Nick, thank you guys for spending some time with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For sure. So um, you know, before we dive into the discussion uh, in, uh, in pair program form, we do like to kick things off with a fun segment that we call Pair Me Up. Pair, pair Me Up. This is uh, this is where we will go around the room um, and pretty much shout out a complimentary pairing. And so I always like to kick things off with uh, with Mike. Mike, why don't you lead us off here on uh, on on a good pairing for you? Yeah, I don't know how good it's going to be, but uh, I took a recent trip to New York City and uh, was reminded I always go up. I I live down in in the D.C. area, take Amtrak. Um, and my go-to move is to get in the cafe car um, because it's like having a whole work desk space. So I'd say like Amtrak in the cafe car, you can just sort of work and, uh, you know, it's, it's better than the business class. You can really stretch out. Um, there's usually nobody else sitting with you or maybe one other person. So that's my go-to move at the risk of blowing that up. And, uh, next thing I go, next time I go up to New York, uh, the cafe car being completely full, but, um, yeah, so that's my pairing. Um, not overly controversial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think uh, that's a hot take anybody's going to debate you on. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'll go with, uh, I'll, I'll jump in here. So I'm going to go with um, dogs and consistent schedules. And um, something that, you know, I've had dogs always growing up. Um, I've got a two-year-old uh, Swiss mountain dog. Her name is Basil. And she is so timely that it shocks me. Um, the, the, the time that she wakes up is, you know, that seven o'clock on the dot, um, knows that it's breakfast time to, you know, right around lunchtime. As soon as I finish, finish my lunch, you know, she's pretty much nudging me cause she knows that's kind of like the, the walk time. And then dinner, uh, is, is at five o'clock. So, um, I'm going to go with dogs and consistent schedules. I think it's remarkable how she has a more consistent routine than than I have. <laughs> so I think that's interesting because um, a lot of pets, dogs, cats are the same way. Are, um, they're very like they know what time it is. Um, like, oh, I, I didn't know that about cats. Yeah, yeah. If you if you want to get out of a habit or whatever, like you can do it at the same time as like feeding your cat or whatever. And they'll remind you. Like, it's just <laughs> they're very consistent. Same thing with dogs. I had dogs growing up, too. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um. Cool. Let's pass it uh, over to our guest, Nick. Why don't you give us a quick intro on yourself and then uh, lead us off with your, your pairing? 
Sure. Yeah. So I'm Nick Holm. Right now I'm the VP of engineering for a startup in Minnesota called Justify. And we're building a, a payments orchestration platform. So um, kind of a big, big body of work there. But uh, this is my second go in a payments company. Previously I was at Central and uh, have been at quite a few startups before that. So excited for the conversation. Um, my pairing is going to be uh, actually sort of similar. It's that uh, mornings and working out. Like if I am going to work out, it has to happen immediately after I wake up. Or it it doesn't it doesn't matter if I have hours open somewhere else in the day. It will not happen if I don't do it right away. So that's mine. Nice. I love that. Yeah, I've um I've recently transitioned over the last year to morning routine workouts versus after work. And it's game changing in terms of like energy throughout the day. But also yeah. the last thing you want to do like after a long day's work is more work. Um, and so like <laughs> knocking it out first thing is I agree. It's it's such a it's a game changer. It's it's tough. It's tough to to get into it. Um, but once you got that week or two under your belt, yeah, it's pretty yeah, it's the you, can't, you gotta have it. Cool. Um, good stuff. Damien, how about a quick intro on yourself and um, you know, your pairing? Sure. Um, so I'm Damien and I'm a senior research software engineer at PwC. Um, the team that I'm on, we work on uh, a graph analytics platform that operates over time series data. And my pairing is uh, also not a hot take and it's uh, almost a little bit cliche given that I have like guitars sitting behind me, um, but it is uh, having music while writing code. Uh, I think cool. every, every problem has a soundtrack. I was going to ask what uh, is there like, do you, what genre of music does it depend on what you're working on? Cause I definitely have certain genres that I use for different things. Yeah. It's interesting. I think it definitely depends on the problem, but there is like, there are themes. Like I tend to listen to more uh, instrumental music and more like technically challenging music, if that makes sense, you know, like jazz or some like progressive metal or something like that. So just kind of like, I don't know that somehow in, in my mind, there's a pairing between the structure of the music and the structure of the thing that I'm trying to work on. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So I, I can totally relate to that as well. I mean, I'm not coding, um, but, you know, in the recruiting world, when I used to get deep into some Internet research and doing some sourcing, I had to have my thing was instrumental music. So I was huge on like Hans Zimmer and just getting <laughs> down on like some Gladiator soundtrack, <laughs> yep. um, just getting super motivated in it. And it also is like I resort to that when it's like just a gloomy, rainy day, like I'll throw down on some instrumental and just mellow out a little bit more in front of the computer screen um but yeah i, I would imagine coding you, you're getting into some sort of a some sort of music there to get you through it yeah for sure it's not always an instrumental too i, I definitely have a have a heart for pop music and everything too it's nice kind of, i just consume everything that's cool yeah taylor swift and coding that's the next hot <laughs> that's, parent that's uh, yeah. Yeah, 1989. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean i will, I, I will yeah. say I'm, I'm pretty impressed with us that i think this is the first time we've had four pairings that don't involve food so that's that's interesting <laughs> that's true that's true yeah we get creative points for that cool all right um let's uh let's jump into the the heart of our our conversation here let's so, dive in <laughs> That's a fairly new soundbite there. Um, we'll see if that's going to make the cut or not. Uh, but uh, so yeah, as, as we mentioned, we're we're going to be talking about uh, you know some of these different environments that technologists experience, um, you know, from startup to enterprise, um, and oftentimes you know it's not by choice, right? So when we think about you know acquisitions as an example, right? You you know when you sign up for a startup environment, you're signing up for a a smaller, you know, a uh, smaller org, uh, and, you know, maybe a little bit more of this nimble type of environment. Um, but of, of course, like the fate of, of many startups, you know, is, is going to be some sort of an exit. So like, a, like I mentioned, an acquisition is common. Um, Damien, you, you know, you went through something not too long ago. Um, you know, I'd love to, to maybe start, you know, with, with your story for some context to, Maybe just walk us through a little bit more about you know, your most recent startup experience and then what, you know, these last couple of environments have looked like for you and how they've differed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess the, the first caveat to just put out there is, you know, everybody's experience of this process is going to be totally different. 
Um, and so, I mean, both for my current employer and the startup that kind of got absorbed into my current employer, uh, I can only speak for my own experience of, of doing this stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, it's kind of the, the background of, of our story was um, we were started as an IoT uh, focused startup uh, working on analyzing temporal graph data um, just to you know, execute machine learning algorithms on IoT data, which is like a big thing nowadays. Um, uh, in the course of the time that I was uh, at the startup, uh, we were called SignalFrame. Um, we grew from a team of seven or eight people all the way up to about 28 or 29. Um, and then on our way towards an exit, we scaled all the way back down to about eight or nine people. Um, and then, uh, we went through the acquisition process and then were immediately put into uh, a group at PDBC digital, uh, which is, I want to say like 15,000 people, uh, on the order of, so a very, a very large, just, um, organizational change in that, in the time that, that I've been there for sure. And I think it's interesting, like when you talk about acquisitions, you know, there's a few different reasons why a company gets acquired by another company, um, whether it's because of the people, the technology. Sometimes it's because the company, the acquiring company wants to, it's a competitor and they just want them off the market. So it's sort of like we're going to acquire you and then shelve you and stuff like that. So I'm sure that also has a, a much bigger impact on what people's experiences are. I've, I've experienced a couple different acquisitions. Um, for for you was it seems like pwc was coming there for you guys what was the like what was the motivator was it what you guys were building the people i'm just a little curious yeah exactly so uh when 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 our acquisition happened it was based around there were kind of two halves to it there was the ip which was the technology that we had worked on and continue to work on now um and then the personnel uh as well because they they recognized that kind of the team that built this technology, it, you know, there are some novel aspects to it, and it was it was worth the investment on their part to to say, you know, that's um, the way that I like to think about it is they were saying this is how you know the true value valuation of what we're acquiring includes you know the skill set of team members A through E or whatever, right. um, and I, and I think that was a really good motivator. I don't know that it would have worked out as well as it had if it had only been based around the IP or something like that. Right. I think that's a, that's, I think that's an important part, right? That's like the ideal situation, right? They're coming because they want you, they want the people, they want the IP, they want the technology. Yeah. Yeah. Were they building their own product at the same time, their own similar thing, or was that? This was just uh, no, no, they didn't have anything exactly comparable. Um, and that's one of the challenges that we faced was just like finding the right fit. I mean, whenever you're working on any technology that's like significantly different than what's already being used, um, it's always a challenge to kind of connect the ideation funnel, from, you know, from product folks and sales folks, especially in an organization that's quite large. Um, yeah. And they have a lot of, um, there's a lot of mechanism around what they're used to building with, whether it's technology or just like, conceptually what type of products they're looking to to create um so that that definitely has been a challenge is figuring out like where our special tech fits into the larger picture um at pwc right how do you just get the skew on the uh yeah 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 honestly that's like half the battle is uh, <laughs> just seems sure. being, being able to explain things properly and and uh you know just help people understand that's it's uh, that's a big challenge yeah, and then Nick, I, I'm going to jump to you in just a second, but on a uh, another piece to that story, uh, Damien. So uh, one of the things that I, I think of too is like you know uh, at Signal Frame, right? When you were interviewing folks to join the tech team, um, you probably had your own you know process and you know uh, you know a, a different kind of culture that maybe you're looking for to make sure that they kind of mesh with this small intimate environment. Mm -hmm. um, going to PwC. Uh, one, did they, um, you know, did they tell you like, look, you, you know, you still, we're still going to support growth of the team, like hiring, like we're, we're still going to mm -hmm. allocate resources for you all to, to scale out or, or build. Um, and then did they let you kind of, uh, maintain some of your own processes from like how you did interviews or did, were they kind of like coming in and saying like, no, now they're going to talk to this VP of technology over in this department here too, or I, I'm just kind of curious yeah. on how that transition was. That's a great question. Um, it's, it's definitely a little bit different now, although thankfully like our team, the way that our 
core team has been able to um, bring people on board. At the very last step, when we're able to select from between a few candidates, um, we've been given all all of the kind of space we need to sort of do things exactly the way that we did when we were independent. Um, I think the main difference is that the larger pool of people, it's not just coming from all over the place. It's not coming from recruiting websites and direct contacts, friends of friends, like the just the the talent pool is very different because they'll have they'll have a group of people that's quite a bit smaller than we might have had applying um, as an independent company. But those people have already gone through like a bunch of interviews potentially or other processes, or they come from some special contracting vehicle that brings people on a temporary basis. So there's just a lot more machinery behind uh, kind of before they get to us. But we've been lucky in that we can still sort of check if people are interested in the technology. Yeah. And I actually found like for, for our team, I guess partially because of what we're working on, um, we're almost like a bigger part of the culture fit. It's not so much whether you want to hang out with us. It's just whether like, do you, do you like this type of technology and like, are you going to push yourself on it? Um, and I, I think, uh, sort of being forced to be virtual has made, mm-hmm. I, like, I noticed that when new people are coming in there, it's sort of, it's, it's less, um, there's less of the thing that happened in the office where you sit down with someone and you just get like a vibe that doesn't happen so much anymore. So I think that's been pretty different for us too. Yeah, it is different. It's like for us here at Hatch anyways, it's like, you know, personality match is super important. Like we want to make sure, you know, we can joke with you and, and not, uh, you know, nobody takes themselves too seriously here. And, um, you know, maybe that's not as important, of, you know, in, in larger environments where it's like, you know, you're not going to be interacting with that person maybe as frequently or, um, you know, crossing, you know, pass with them in the hallway or whatever it might be. But um, just, uh, yeah, just an interesting transition. So, uh, Nick, let's let's jump into your your scenario, because, you know, little different um not necessarily you know acquisition but um why don't you know for context for for the listeners here uh you know telling us a little bit about you know your experience of you know how your environment progressed through you know your experience with sezzle coming in and then what you built that to and then we can talk about you know where you're at currently yeah i think um the sezzle experience was pretty unique for me i when i got there i had one one employee I was which was pretty amazing for a payments company and that was the payments team. Uh so, <laughs> so we started out um with under a lot of pressure. But the you know by the by the time I left, which was just about three years, that was you know, I had twenty five people on that team, four different teams and definitely had built teams that specialized in the things that they were doing, like in payments you have you know, issuing and acquiring and international payments and stuff and, and, uh, and, and all the accounting. So it was, it was a really fun process to be able to build that team. And I, I was in a nice environment where like, that was really on me, how I wanted to hire people. I really had the final say of like, who was gonna, who was going to be on the team or not. And it was a lot nicer once I, I had more people and some managers and then they could really go through the process and, and kind of see their autonomy and building their teams out how they wanted as well. That was, uh, was really fun. Um, so I, I enjoyed that process. It was my favorite part, but definitely going through, whereas like Damien had this all of a sudden one day he's in a huge company. We went through this slow build of like, oh, now we have, you know, four or 500 people as an org internationally like how do we operate um that was you know that was trying at times definitely i think especially for people that had been there from early days um you know later on when you're hiring people and you're at that like 400 person mark people don't expect to have a whole lot of communication with every single person around them anymore so the expectations changed over time and and Sometimes it was e- it was definitely easier, I think, for incoming folks once we got that far. So you were you were the first kind of engineer engineer uh, hired? No, no. When I got there, I think I was about employee seventy. Um, we had there was one person there on the engineering team that was like fully dedicated to payments. Um, 
so I I got brought in to to build that team out and I guess that's pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting you contrast like because I've also gone through the experience of like the the growth, you know, the slow growth, the big company comes in and acquires those, all of those different things, and I think it's interesting like the people, the engineers that started early on, and as the company grows, I feel like when it's a, like when it's that growth and it's just sort of gradual and, and organic, um, it's harder for some people to sort of like recognize, like maybe this isn't the organization I still want to be at. Like they, like, Oh, they loan, they, they long for the days of like, yeah, I knew everything that was going on and I was super like, we were all connected and so on and so forth. And then you, you go to like the, the, the other extreme where it's like, yeah, one day you're, you know, 10 people or whatever. And then the next day you're 2000 or however big. Um, yeah. and I think it's harder for my perspective or my experience um, in that second case, it's the acquiring company that doesn't like fully recognize that like these people that you just grabbed, like they come from a small company, they have certain expectations and like maybe they don't really want to work at this big company where like all of these, pro- where it feels very heavy and process and blah, blah, blah. And it, it, you sort of, I don't know uh, if either one of you have like thoughts on that, but like that to me is like when it comes to like the engineering mindset and like that's where there's some struggles is like whether you're the engineer and you go through this growth or you come in one day and like everything's changed. I don't know. I've gone through that too, where like one of the first companies I worked at, we were acquired by this sort of complicated deal with Rite Aid (laughs) and it was fairly obvious from the beginning that the idea was the opposite of what I, I think that, that Damien experienced where it's like, okay, we're going to keep you together and we like you as a group of people. It was sort of like, we need your technology. Um, we'll keep a handful of you out of necessity. <laughs> um, but the rest of it is like, I mean, literally going through things where their teams are saying, oh, well, we're going to rewrite that and we're, we want to do it in Perl. It's like, well, it already works in this. Like, <laughs> it is running, you know, some sort of crazy thing. So uh, that was, uh, needless to say, not a great experience. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm curious, Damien, like with the with with your experience, like what what did they did they have expectations on you guys in terms of like how that would go? Like, did they think that like, oh, everybody's going to be super excited about working at this giant company now? Or did they sort of recognize that like, this is actually going to be a pretty good, big cultural shift for some of the people that are actually at, at the, at the company that's being acquired? Yeah, I, I think they, uh, they, they, tr- they did right by us, uh, by kind of recognizing that it was going to be a very big, uh, change, uh, just because, um, the nature of like PwC is a very big organization, but it's also, structured a little differently. Like I've worked at some large companies in the past. Um, I, I worked at a place called Cvent, which is like a big event management software company. Um, but that was a very, like, I would say traditionally structured company. Like I imagine it's, they, they modeled their, their organization a little bit after the, the big tech companies like Facebook or Microsoft or whatever. Um, but PwC is one of the big four consulting companies. And so their entire model of like, what their business culture is, including for software engineers, uh, is just super different than anywhere I've, I've worked at uh, elsewhere. Uh, and I, I imagine people who work at other consulting firms may have had similar experience um, because every, every big consulting firm is diving really deep into tech as they have to. Um, so they, they sort of, they understood that. They, they, they understood that it was going to be a pretty big shock for us. Um, and I think that it's gone, it's gone very smoothly. Like the things we sort of lose, at least in my experience from, from going from the startup into the big organization. Um, one of the big things is just like a control over time. Like it was easy to not appreciate that when we were an independent tiny team, like our schedules were just um, tied up together because we were all in the same place, working on the same tasks at the same sort of rhythm. Um, but then when you jump into a bigger organization, there's just literally more people to work with. And so you have to manage people's, uh, schedules and that bleeds into like project deliverables and all kinds of stuff. So I noticed like kind of the pace of our workflow definitely changed. Um, and I think they did their best bringing us in. Um, but it's just always going to be a challenge because that's like where it like really hits home is, is in the work that you're doing just 
like um, Nick mentioned, like they, they have only developers who work in technology XYZ, like .NET or something like that. They're like, oh, can we can we rewrite this thing in .NET? And we're we're like, no, we really don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, and, and that sort of thing. You well, know, at least they're not. At least they're still trying to push Pearl on you. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although I don't know. You worked with any large C sharp uh, code bases? <laughs> like, I, might prefer, I might prefer Pearl, honestly. <laughs> um, I'm I'm kind of curious on on uh, if this is even brought up in um you know in the interview uh, of you know maybe with with Signal Frame as an example or um you know, Nick for with your with your experiences at Sezzle is like. How much transparency is communicated about, you know, the the growth plan of getting to an exit event? Um, I feel like that's a, t- a sensitive subject, right? Obviously, it's an unknown, but there's tends to be some sort of a plan that probably the founder has in their mindset. Um, and there's probably a roadmap that's, you know, somewhat aligned with this progression. Um, to what extent do you know, have have either of you all ever you know, brought that up in the interview process of like, you know, what, what is it, you know, what is my uh, expectation here within, you know, that, that five-year plan, that's always a question that I kind of laugh at. Cause like, as a founder, I'm like, can't tell you the one-year plan, you know, sometimes <laughs> here. And, uh, but you know, if it's, you know, impacting your, your role and like, like I said, like you sign up for a certain stage and knowing that you want to get to a certain stage, I guess how much of that is like, Approach on an an interview process, or is that something that the founder like you know pulls you in and like hey just a heads up you know we might be we might be doing this thing in a year uh, that we're having these conversations around um, how much transparency was was brought forth to you all in in the scenarios of the like what how fast you're planning to grow hiring the right software engineer doesn't come easy or at an affordable price. As an early stage founder growing quickly, you need strong technical talent without breaking the bank. That's why we created Scale, Hatch IT's flexible recruiting program tailored for startups hiring on a startup budget. Whether you're looking to bring on a new head of engineering or a product manager, Hatch has you covered with dedicated support from seasoned tech recruiters at a fixed monthly cost. Take back the time you've spent sourcing through your own LinkedIn connections and let Hatch handle the heavy lifting of recruiting for you. And while you're at it, give your CFO something to smile about when they're no longer paying for high-priced finder's fees. Visit us at hatchit.io to start hiring on your startup budget today. So I can speak to Signal Frame. Uh, so we were um, we were lucky in that I remember when speaking to the founders, uh, going through the interview process myself, um, they were just very transparent about the fact that you know, they would always give us, um, and not just during, during the interview process, but also like through the course of our employment, um, it would always give us the maximum, um, timetable or runway or whatever you want to call it that, that they could, you know, reasonably back. Um, and I think that was a really honest way to do things where they would say like, Hey, you know, we have an 18 month plan, but honestly, we don't know what direction certain things are going to go in, in that time frame. Um, so, so you can set your expectations accordingly. Um, and I really appreciated that. And I think that that helped motivate a lot of our core engineering team sticking around for a long time, um, which just made our, our software better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's more relevant as a team is still smaller. I think, you know, once you get into a bigger org, those questions, uh, I mean, one, one of the things is like, if you're public, you can't really talk about it anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that, that kind of puts an end to it, but you know, when, once you're bigger, there's so many moving pieces that I, I don't feel that it's quite as relevant as long as you have runway. But I know for me, like I'm, I will ask that question, but that I think that makes more sense when you're at a, you know, at a higher level within the company to understand really who are the people that you're going to work with and, and what, what do they see as the vision? But to your point though, him is like how how much do you know like you 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 have an idea but it's really you know 12 months out in like a pre-seed uh you know like a series a or b company like that's pretty hard to know 
But I, I mean, I think to the to the earlier point about transparency, I think when I asked that question, right, even when I was really early in my career, I remember my mentor giving me that advice of like, ask that, like, find out what their exit strategy is. Like, what are they planning on doing? Like, and and the answer, the specific answer isn't as important as the way in which it's delivered, if you will. Like, if they don't really know, if they don't really have a plan, are they saying like, hey, man. This is what I know. I know like the next six months, this is what we're going to try and accomplish. And then six months after that, this is what we're going to do. And like, maybe that leads yeah. down path A and maybe that leads down path B. Like our doors are open, like blah, blah, blah. Like it's really about that level of transparency or how, and sort of how they react to that question more than the actual specific answer, if, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always appreciated that transparency. Um, I, I, you know, I, I would much prefer someone tell me, hey, we're all options are available. Like we, you know, or, or no, our plan really is like, we, we see ourselves in five years. We, we really want to just be acquired. Like we want to build something that like really like, which no one's ever said to me, like it's usually the ladder of like, we want to be open to, to whatever, wherever, wherever things take us. But I think it is important. I think it's a valid question to ask. I don't know how important it is. It's really up to you to decide how important it is to you to know that stuff. But um, I think it's well, I, th- I think I also respect the the question because it's clearly somebody's concern thinking about their future, too. Right. Because it's not just the company. It's like, what, well, where do I fit in as well? Because that's, I think, a bigger you know piece of this theme of this topic is, you know, your role is going to be changing, you know, regardless. And so you need to think through what is it that you are comfortable with? And then what are your expectations of where I'm going to be going? at that next stage. So we get this round of funding in a year, if that's what you're saying is in this, this milestone that we want to get to, we got to get the team to this stage and the product at this point. Um, but then what are my options? Because there's going to be a, a hiring spree I'd imagine. And then, you know, you know, it's almost like broaching that early on and just trying to map out as best you can, even if they're not going to tell you like, yeah, after that we're getting acquired, you know? Um, but it's like, Okay, well, if you want to run this, you know, this team, like we're going to have these new features that we're we're exploring, uh, we'll probably need somebody to manage the people, or you could just go down the the principal, you know, path, whatever it might be. But at least um, you're showing me that you're concerned, you're interested, and in, in want to know what my options are, you know. Um, so just something that something that's almost like underlying asking without asking uh, uh, what your path might be or what it might look like. Yeah, I think I think Nick brought up a good point, which was that, um, you know, I think part of the reason you tend to you tend to ask, well, you tend to speak about that, that aspect a little bit less um, in a bigger organization is that uh, one of the biggest changes we noticed was kind of in our search for new new product applications for our technology. Um, everything just had like an un- unlimited staying power because we didn't we weren't we weren't so concerned with the next quarter or the next 18 month, you know, plan, runway plan, we could really like let um, different proofs of concept or other sort of um, explorations of the application of our tech. We could do that in a more comfortable way than we could have when we were a startup. Um, and I think that that uh, it has its, its pros and cons, but I think that that was a, a positive change for sure. Moving to a larger organization, it was like less less scrappiness a little bit and maybe less, you know, less worrying about keeping the lights on. Like we could actually focus on the tech to some degree more, but, uh, but very different. The other question I've been asked and I I found interesting, especially uh, when I, in the last few years is really being asked what the career ladder is very early on. And that definitely that definitely happened more at Sezzle where we were a bigger org further through the, further through the, uh, you know, my time there where like at an early stage startup, people aren't really asking you what the, uh, what the career ladder looks like and, you know, what are your fixed review processes and things like that early on. Um, so that was, that was always been a pretty good question. I thought when, when you're in a little bit larger company. I think it can also be a differentiator if you're one of the starter smaller companies if you to have a little bit of that um and to be able to to be able to speak to that because I think that that is something that um speaks to certain people and um it's I think having that's being able to answer that yeah. um can help a, a startup 
uh, sort of differentiated a little bit from some of the other startups where it's like, hey, man, like, we don't know, like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we just need somebody to ship some code. Like, just come on. <laughs> I actually was asked this last last week. So now it's it's <laughs> on my agenda to to build the uh, build the ladder. So oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that we hear quite a bit on the podcast actually is, you know, these, um, yeah, the, the different styles of roles and, and people are really dissecting them a lot more, right? So like we, we've got an episode centered around like, what is this role of, of principal or staff engineer? Um, because it's something where, you know, it's, it's a super senior role, but then, you know, it's, it's almost like where, well, I'm not taking the CTO's seat next and I don't want to manage people. Where do I go from here? And trying to understand, you know, how, how it is that you're baking in like that next step for folks, um, even though maybe it looks like that's like one of the, the, the top you can get to. Yeah. Um, I know that's something that we're, we're trying to, to dissect here is like, you know, we can't really go beyond that right now because we're not at that size. So I can't really tell you like this is going to be a people management slot or not. Um, we're not there yet. And I don't know how much we're going to really invest in that department. But. It's just interesting to see like a lot of a lot of people are really tapping that right now and wanting to you know make sure that there is a career path in place and, and what their options are laid out. Yeah, I think it's also interesting how many like a lot of the people that I talk to that are more junior earlier in their career thinking th- thinking a very linear sort of progression. Um, when I know from my experience, I'm sure you guys would agree that like it's anything but linear. Like I, I zigzagged up that mountain like. And there were a lot of switchbacks. There was a lot of going back down. (laughs) So. Sure, you guys get similar, have similar experiences and and have to sort of educate people as well. Yeah, I mean, definitely it went from before Sezzle being a CTO and building a company from, you know, the 20 plus and, you know, almost 30 engineers total and like then going back and like, okay, now I'm in code every single day, (laughs) like all day. (laughs) and. Um, now I, it wasn't exactly what I was hoping for in long-term, but it definitely was like a, a clear path. Right. So it was worth it to me to be able to say like, all right, let me, let me dive into this again and, and, and get back in code and, and then be able to work that way up. So that overall a good choice, I think. So Nick, when you joined Sezzle, you know, what was it, um, was it like a series A um at that stage it was, actually, it was right after they had gone public um the, that company went public in on the asx which is australian stock exchange um so it was the bmpl space was very well understood in australia and that was really the impetus of if uh going public there instead of you know here in the u.s mm. um so from the whole time I was there, actually, we were public. It was an interesting thing because the company was so small as a public company yeah. still. Yeah. Um, but as I'm sure, you know, a lot of people have noticed that that space is, it exploded so quickly that you really had to have a huge runway to be able to um, grow as fast as you needed to, to become competitive. So it, it did make sense. Um, and now they, Right after I left, they were just acquired by Zip as well. So that was a pretty short. I mean, in the grand scheme of a company, like that was that was a pretty short go of it. But uh, before getting acquired, but I mean, congratulations to them. It was a big deal. And then in, currently, you're um, in a is it seed or or A? We uh, just closed the seed. Uh, kind of had a two phase seed, I guess. We closed in December, and then another. Another uh, opportunistic investor came in uh, in in April, so we're we're building the plan. You know, hopefully we have a we have a pretty good runway until there's a a real need for an A right now. And the what's the size of the I guess the engineering team? Yeah, the engineering team today is uh, pretty small. So I came in and acquired a very senior team, which was interesting not not something i experienced before that had really worked together for quite a while so um that i was i was lucky to inherit a team like that and right now we have um just about eight people i think 
So it, any like standout um, uh, attributes that you feel like you, you've pulled from your previous experience and uh, at that stage when you joined versus where, you know, where you're at currently uh, within those two environments? Is it um, anything that, that jumps out as um, you know, drastically different to you? And, and what would those be? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about being in a, at a seed level company is just you're still, your product is still really a work in progress. And um, you, what, what is hard sometimes is that, you know, you build something and you're close to it and you're super proud of it. Um, and it's hard to, it's hard to like either find out that that wasn't really very relevant or that like you still need to make some more tweaks on that for it to become to reach its full potential. So. I think I had kind of forgot a little bit about that since I had a fairly established product for three years, you know, and um, hadn't been in that like first day, you know, first line of code thing like I was at Tredium before. So it was um, it was a little little uh, quick refresher for me once I got there. But uh, it's definitely all about just like how quickly can you fulfill some requirements of your early of your early adopters, right? So, mm-hmm. very cool. All right, I think um, I think we're about ready to transition to our to our next segment here. Um, so let me let me just pull this uh, list up here of questions that we crowdsource from the Hatchpack community, and this next um, this next segment here is called Round Out My Career. So. It's a fun segment where we spin this community wheel behind me. Uh, it has topics and questions, like I mentioned, crowdsourced from the Hatchpack community. Um, the topics can range anything from compensation to culture. Um, so let me give it a spin and see what today's uh, topic is. Let's round it out. All right. Uh, goals is the topic here. <laughs> Um, all right, let me just see. Okay, let's go with this one. So how do you promote creating and tracking goals that are not just performance based? Um, Damien, why don't we start with you? Um, anything specific that comes to mind? Sure. Um, I guess to ask a question about the question, uh, do we mean like, in yeah okay so I, I guess it's um the the main way to set goals that aren't performance based i think are having i think re- it requires having some structure around what you say your culture is um we were uh, at signal frame we had actually one of the co-founders had written this down like had a culture document um and we carried the practice into our current team um but i think without that uh, you definitely don't have that as much in the the startup space. Um, it's kind of the goals are necessarily performance driven and you, you have to, um, there, there are many instances where you get asked to drop what you're doing and go do something else. Um, I think that happens less at a larger organization post acquisition. So it really comes down to just having other structures like HR departments and there's kind of career building, you know, ideas or platforms that exist in the organization that just wouldn't be there in a startup context. Um, and those help kind of drive those goals because they really, they sort of flesh out that, where do you see yourself in five year question, or at least that's the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about yourself, Nick? <laughs> that's kind of a hard question, I guess. I, I think um, I could agree when it, it's a larger org, that's a little bit easier. Uh, the Having the extra resources, helps a lot. Um, I know I don't really have a great answer for this, honestly. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Mike, what do you, yeah, I mean, what, I, what do you I, think, I think about like, um, the career goals or if there's areas, I mean, I, you know, you, you have one-on-ones with folks and you, you sort of learn about, um, 
what they're interested in and looking for opportunities for them to grow um, and opportunities for them to, to, to get better or to do something different. Um, I don't think it's necessarily performance based. It's really about sort of like, well, what do you want to be exposed to and, and setting up some goals and, and, how, and, and measuring against like, okay, how are we going to find you those opportunities? Like, Hey, you've talked about, you know, you're still early in your career or maybe you're sort of mid midway, th- you know, sort of you've been around a little bit and you want to start managing people. Um, what are the skills that you sort of need for that? And how do we get you exposed to that and get you sort of, maybe, maybe you're like me and you, you thought you really wanted to do that early in your career and you did it and you realized it's a mistake and how do you, you know, sort of back out of that and, you know, or whatever, um, and then get back into it later or whatever. But, um, I think that's where it's a lot of conversations. I think it, for a smaller company, right. Where you don't have that HR department, where you don't have those career ladders to find, where you don't have all of those other sort of goals. Um, or, you know, it might just be as easy as having a conversation about certifications. Um, mm-hmm. and encouraging people to go out and learn and train and, and, and like, you can then just track and say like, Hey, you know, we talked about, you know, this quarter you wanted to try and get such and such cert, like, how's that going? Um, so I think you can do s- some stuff around that. Um, that's, that's actually measurable and, and, and is a real goal, um, that really helps them and helps them drive their career. Um, that's outside of sort of the shipping code. Mm-hmm. I, I think in that vein too, it's like, what I generally coach people on is as well as, Hey, let's well, one of the most important things, if you're talking about moving up, like in, in that sense is really keeping track of those things on your own as well. Like, yes. You are your biggest advocate. And even if you have a manager that is just all into getting you promoted or helping you make that lap move or do whatever it is you're trying to do, like it's really up to you to build that case for them before they're able to present anything. Uh, so I really do, especially when I'm onboarding new people, kind of say like, hey, do me a favor and keep track of everything that you do in the next 90 days at least. Because when you're frustrated, you can look at that and be like, hey, things aren't so bad. I am moving forward, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, that, that really extends through the rest of your career. Yeah. I. When it, this question's first off tricky. Thanks for teeing us up with this one, Thomas. I was like, <laughs> not really it. sure what this means. Um, but uh, <laughs> but um, so to zigzag on on the question, I would say that um, Mike, you brought up a good point about like, yeah, like how do you how do you better yourself? Um, yeah, how do you round out like just your skill set? You know, so round like out the, your career start, maybe. <laughs> round out your career. Yeah. <laughs> I think like the certification piece is good, but then. Um, I, I, I would also add like, um, you know, so trying to just be mindful of you know, how much work, you know, folks are doing, uh, in, in certain intervals, right. Because with our, with our company, you know, it's, it's cyclical. Um, and so trying to align with like, um, you know, burnout and understanding like to when is, when are you overdoing it or when are you underperforming, um, and trying to plan out like, um, you know, one, like make sure you take, you know, we we rolled out like mental health days um, as a result of the pandemic, actually, of just like, take some time to just, it's not all about work here, you know, make sure like you're holding yourself to that day. So our HR person, you know, sends a reminder out, just like, make sure you you, you block it on the calendar, you know, try to put it out there in advance, just so we can kind of work around that schedule. But um, also just, you know, trying to figure out your schedule and taking time off. when it's not going to have a huge impact on the company, but trying to do it tactfully and explain that it can be tricky. Um, so this balance of like, you have burnout, but also like, look, we're a small company and we need, we need you to be heads down right now. Um, so, you know, the, I guess where I'm zigzagging to is, you know, setting time for yourself. That's good for you to, you know, kind of unwind and, and do your own thing and then be being prepared to, to buckle down when we need you to um, and, and trying to make that a part of like, they're almost like how they set up their schedules as a goal. Um, Because it certainly plays a part in, in our business. If everybody's taken, you know, off at the same time, like during our busy season and uh, you know, we find ourselves in a pinch, it's, it's, it's kind of a debacle, but. um, All like another big thing there too, is like, if, if you're in a stage where you're trying to figure out what's next, or maybe even if 
you know, you want to go from engineering to product or something like that. Like I really suggest finding it like an external mentor, not somebody mm-hmm. at your company that's really close. Like that makes a, I think that makes a big difference on how you can actually speak and, and have an open conversation about what's going on and what's going on in your head versus what you can do within it, somebody within your companies. Uh, yeah, I can't agree with that more. Like, I feel like the the idea of like mentors versus co- like I can coach people, I can help people who are at my company, right? But like true mentoring um, is is definitely like I benefited the most from my mentor who was out, you know, it's external. I reported to her for a while, then I left was at a different company, and then she was able to be really my mentor throughout most of my career. Um, I couldn't agree with that more. Like getting some of that and getting that from outside. Um, to help you set those internal those goals that are maybe not for, you know not performance based from the company's perspective, um, super helpful. Yeah, likewise, I feel like you have to find people you have to find people who uh, inspire you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did something similar here. We're we're like trying this this type type of mentor program for you know we don't have a product you know department, but our marketing you know team wants to be you know more product savvy, so we engage a a product advisor almost in a sense to meet with us monthly um, versus, you know, hiring a, a product person uh, and try to gain that knowledge through the use of a, you know, a mentor advisor um, and uh, yeah, better, better use of our spend, but also, you know, still satisfies that, that need to, you know, round out their skill set, um, but do it by way of mentors or, you know, consultants. So cool. All right. I think that's a, that's a wrap on, on the episode. So I wanted to thank uh, both of you guys for spending some time with us. Um, uh, certainly uh, an area that we can have many more conversations about. I'm sure, you know, this won't be the last time you all experience this type of transition and, and an environment. Uh, so would love to pick it back up uh, at another date. But uh, for now, thanks for, for spending time. And if there's anywhere specific that you want to shout out where folks can follow you if it's on twitter you youtube linkedin uh go for it now otherwise we'll just post it in the in the show notes uh, after the fact yeah i'm just just have the linkedin can't do more than one yeah <laughs> i don't blame you <laughs> yep so i'm a, I'm a damien stanton pretty much everywhere tiktok cool. you know Good stuff. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Pair Program. If you'd like to continue the conversation from this week's episode, you can do so with the Hatchpad community. Join us at chat.myhatchpad.com.